Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. All right, welcome everybody. Today we have an awesome interview with Eric Wright out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he's going to share his story. And there's a lot of different parts. I know you're going to have a lot of really good ideas, actionable content, and are really going to benefit from his story. So without further ado, welcome, Eric. Glad to have you. Thanks, Chad. Glad to be here, man. All right. So we met probably, I, it's probably been nine months now. Hard to I believe. So. Yeah, last nine March. COVID months. So it feels like about mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Uh, (laughs) seriously though yeah so in that time I mean your business and everything you've been working on it seems like it's just exploding so so I'm really glad to have you on and kind of share how you got that ball started and what your primary focuses have been um, over that period so what was your start or how did you get that initial interest for real estate? Yeah, I actually, it's a funny story. Right after I graduated college, I was living with a friend and there were several of us who were all living in the same house and she owned the house and we were all renting rooms from her. And then she got married and kicked us all out as you know, she should have. So, so she got married, kicked us all out. But uh, me and my other roommates were talking, we're like, well, where are we going to live? Like what, you know, we still like to all live together. What are we going to do? And I was the only one at the time who had a job that could qualify for a bank loan. So I was like, I'll just go buy a house and y'all can just pay me rent. So we actually ended up living with my parents for like a month or two while I found a house and had to do some work and rehab it. And then did all that work myself and then rented out the other two rooms to two of my my friends and was kind of like, hey, this is kind of cool. I'm living for free. My roommates are paying all my bills. and I don't have to pay anything. I was like, there might be something to this. So I did that for three years and then ended up moving. So that was in Arkansas, moved to Louisiana and sold that house and cleared like 18,000. I got an $18,000 check when I left. And I was like, you know, 24 at the time or whatever, 25. I was like, sweet. Moved to Louisiana, bought a duplex. I was like, hey, I'll rent out one side and live in the other. That paid for my mortgage. So pretty much since I was, you know, 23 years old, I haven't had to pay my own mortgage, which has been awesome until just recently when my wife and I bought our house here in Tennessee. So I've always kind of house hacked for the past, like, you know, almost 10 years. So I bought a duplex, lived on one side, ran out the other, met my wife. We got married, bought a house that had a garage apartment. So we ran out the garage apartment in the back that paid for almost half the mortgage. And then I kept the duplex. And then at that point decided to actually figure out how to do this whole real estate thing. Cause I was like, I, I really like how this is working, you know, getting to live for free and then kind of leveling up. Uh, So I bought another single family house in Louisiana, completely rehabbed it myself, took me three months, what should have taken a professional crew like two weeks (laughs) because I was working nights and weekends all on my own. Um, Learned my lesson. I won't ever rehab a house myself again. Uh, That's just not my skill set and not what I'm good at. But I'm glad I did it. It was a good learning experience. So did that, got that rented out. 
And then about a year and a half ago, we moved from Louisiana to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, when we did that, I actually got a property manager to manage those properties in Louisiana and really just started thinking, what do I need to do to actually like make this a true business and just not just kind of like a side gig, you know, something I just kind of did on the side. And so, so yeah. So before we get into like your new growth, yeah. What, you know, for a lot of people, house hacking sounds amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at the numbers, you're living for free and you're benefiting from the appreciation and the debt pay down. Oh yeah. And, um, I don't know how you can go wrong, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. So the only downside, which I hear, you know, like a concern is you have your tenants living either in your house or right next door. Did you have any bad experiences with that? Any any management issues? A hundred percent, yes. I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Especially, Honesty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I screwed up a bunch and lost a lot of money. I mean, I, I never, like I always at least was able to pay my mortgage and whatever. And I never, but I, I missed out on a lot of income. Um, also renting to friends can be tough because, you know, there's that friendship relationship, but also you're their landlord. And so that can be kind of weird when you're, you know, maybe trying to give some people some grace on, whatever's going on in their life. And then, you know, six months later, they owe you $4,000 in back rent. <laughs> you yeah. know, go, go turn one of your good friends over to the collections agency or whatever. Like that's, that's kind of a crappy situation. And you so, still see them at breakfast and ask for yeah, yeah, exactly. that, that tricky. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I made a lot of mistakes that, that route. And a lot of that was just because I didn't know how to be a landlord. I just liked the idea of somebody else paying. And honestly, like, the house in Arkansas right after I was um, almost right out of college, a little bit after that uh, was fairly easy because the roommates were guys that we were already living together. Anyways, the rent was super cheap. I didn't have any issues there when I had my duplex is kind of when I ran into some issues. And then whenever I moved out of the duplex and rented both sides, um, made some mistakes again and ended up in a situation where somebody owed me six months back rent and I was trying to work with them and whatever. And just, you know, being new and inexperienced made a lot of mistakes. And so I ended up having to figure out how to do an eviction and, you know, basically lost out on a half a year's worth of income on that property. So I think every property owner who's managed their own rentals can relate completely. Everybody goes through that, you know, you hear this terrible sob story and you want to be considerate and helpful. That's yeah. exactly right. And and at the time, so in Louisiana, I was actually working at a, a nonprofit that was a homeless outreach center. And so my action to becoming the director of the Lovewell Center in Shreveport, which is a homeless outreach center. And, mm. you know, so my, my heart is to help people and to love on them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and having to kind of separate that a little bit too. And that even, especially in business, that you can, you can run your business with integrity and run it well, but you also have to set boundaries and guidelines. And this is the way the business runs. Cause if you don't, then you're going to go bankrupt. <laughs> like you're not going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I heard somebody speak one time when I was wrestling with that. And especially when all the tenants knew I was the owner that made mm-hmm. it much harder. Yeah. Know, where I was the decision maker, but I heard somebody 
speak and they were saying that it's actually doing them a disservice to let them get behind on rent because if they're more than a month behind, the odds of them ever catching up. That's exactly right. Very low. That's exactly right. So I, I still try to instill that, you know, with my assistant today that we're, we're trying, we're helping them by demanding or, or instilling this hard line. And yeah. And there's something to be said too, in that like people will rise to meet the expectations that are put on them, but they'll also lower their actions based on whatever, if you lower the expectations of them, if that makes sense, you know, and that, um, you know, if, if you just kind of make this is, this is the way it works, people will tend and and you don't like, Oh, but this time it's okay. And this is whatever. And you know, that people will tend to, I guess, rise to that expectation. Uh, but they'll also lower themselves. So if you, if you lower your expectations of them, then they'll meet whatever that minimum standard is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Completely true. I think that's like one of the major headaches of all the the changes with COVID and the CDC moratorium and mm-hmm. all of the people who understood what the expectation was and could live to it and had been living up to that expectation. That's exactly right. Because I actually was talking with somebody yesterday about that, that with the COVID moratoriums and that sort of thing is that people who could pay their rent maybe are choosing not to because of the moratoriums. But there's a difference between that and the people who like legitimately lost their job due to COVID and they cannot actually pay their rent. But it kind of gives it that, like, like you said, that lowered expectation. And so people are like, oh, well, I could, but I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) If it's not quite as urgent and Christmas is coming, I've got plenty of other ways that I'd like. That's exactly right. right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So you learned your lessons or you learned uh, some of those management lessons. Yeah. And I learned that I'm really too soft hearted. And so I will never manage my own properties again. Like I need to have a property manager who just is really good at what they do and sets expectations really well. That's sure. Too soft. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how many, when you moved to Tennessee, how many units um, did you have at that point? So I had the duplex in Louisiana. I had a single family home and then I had our personal home that had the garage apartment that we kept as well. So that was five units total. Um, and we actually ended up selling our personal home just a few months ago. Um, cause we didn't actually buy it as a rental, but when we moved, we didn't, we didn't sell in the time frame that we needed to. So we went ahead and just rented it out. Um, and then found a buyer to come in. Uh, he's actually a military guy who lives there who's house hacking and renting out by the rooms to other young guys and um, doing really well with it. So it worked out perfect for him. Sure. Yeah. All and right. Then, so. Yeah. So, and then I, I just added another single family home in Shreveport uh, just about six months ago. That was my first out of state Burr uh, property uh, that I, I'd done, which was exciting. I actually still haven't ever seen the house in person. So, um, all right, we got to talk through this one. Now. Yeah. Peak my interest. Okay, so how did this <laughs> thing come to be? Or how did this so come together? My property manager, his name's Chris Simmons, uh, with uh, 220 Rent is his uh, property management company. But he is also a real estate agent. So he brought me the deal. Um, it was uh, somebody who just needed to get out of their house quickly. Um, it was listed on the MLS, had been on the, the market for a little while. Um, they'd been dropping it in price. Um, they basically said, Hey, if you can find somebody to buy for $80,000, we'll take it and move on. So 
He brought it to me. I ran the numbers. We bought it for $80,000. He took down the deal for me and he actually oversaw the rehab. So we did about $16,000 rehab on it, mainly just kind of paint, flooring, a um, couple small plumbing issues, uh, took care of all that, put on a new roof. And after that $16,000 rehab, it appraised for $140,000. Um, so then after a six month seasoning period, we refinanced it out at $105,000. So 75% loan to value actually got back more money than we put into it. Man, that's and awesome. then that's now like it's cash flow as a rental. And he's also my property manager and he manages it. So he, he's, he literally did all the work. He's kind of the rock star of that, of that scenario. I just benefited from his expertise. Man, that's awesome. Okay. So you bought it for 80 put 16 into it. So you're at 96. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're making money on the rent for mm-hmm. some of those six months yep. and then refied it at 105. So you got $9,000 in cash at the refinance. Yeah, man. Well, and actually, awesome. so we, we financed it through a local bank who actually we paid 20% down of the purchase price and then they financed hundred percent of the rehab cost. Uh, so we did have some holding costs there and then some closing costs on the initial construction loan basically is what it was. And then on the refinance. So I think we ended up getting back about $5,000 uh, in addition to the, the 20% down payment. Take it. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I was super pumped. <laughs> so what's the, if the ARV is 140, what's the rent? So the rent is $1,200 a month. Um, so, you know, we're finally set at 105. So because it's got a new roof, the HVAC is only two years old. The hot water heater is only two years old. Like our CapEx is going to be pretty low. Um, maintenance and repairs should be pretty, pretty low as well since we'd already done so much work to it. Um, so it's probably only cash flow, maybe about $250 a month after repairs, CapEx, all that kind of stuff. Um, which for me right now, though, my goal is just to get into as many units as possible and to get my money back out to kind of keep that money rolling. Um, so I'm fine with cash flowing 250 to 300 bucks a month, uh, yeah. and, and getting all my money back. So I can go do it again. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what is, I love about the Burr strategy is that you can, you can just recycle that money. That that's exactly right. It, you know? Sure. And, and right now my wife and I are using the 30 year fixed rate, uh, loans. So we got our, and especially with interest rates right now, I think the the refinance rate we got on that property was 3.25% at 30 years. So our, our mortgage, our mortgage payments insanely low. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So really, if you had, especially that one's totally passive, you never looked at the house, you didn't, I did not any do anything. You didn't deal with any leasing and showing and, and mm-hmm. any of that. So I mean, with that model, if you had more money, more more hard money, private money, whatever, you you could do infinite deals as long as you- That's exactly right. And I think the, the bottleneck that ends up happening to a lot of investors, even ones who get really good at even that model, is finding the deals though. Because mm. finding the deal that you can buy for 80, put 16 into it, and it's going to appraise for 140, that's what everybody wants. Everybody's looking for that. You know, yeah. so that's, that's where I put my focus in the past six months is really on trying to figure out how to be the guy that can find those deals that happened to be one off the MLS that an agent brought me. 
I've been looking for deals for the past two years and that's the first one. Someone's brought me off the MLS that I could actually work like that, that well, you know? That's sharp. Yeah. It's a good point. If you can find a deal that good with that much equity in there, then you, you can, make a lot of things happen, right? You can hold exactly it, right. you can burr it, you can flip it. Yeah, you, you got can... options. You yeah. got options. Okay, sure. so what have, what have you been working on to find more of those deals? Yeah, so six months ago, I actually started my own real estate company here in Chattanooga called New Horizon Homebuyers. Um, so basically all the, you know, we buy houses, people, all that kind of stuff, the wholesalers or whatever. Um, we're not really looking to wholesale uh, very much at all. We started that just to try to find deals for myself. Um, if it gets to the point that I can't take down everything that I'm getting in as far as leads, then I may start wholesaling out what I can't take down myself uh, just to raise capital and that sort of thing. So we started from scratch, um, incorporated our company, started a website. I hired uh, a guy to help me figure out basically how to build a website and, and get our website ranking on Google uh, through search engine optimization. Uh, his name's Gerald Norton through um, uh, SEO for real estate investors. Um, he is a nut and he's hilarious and and but he's really good at what he does. Um, he he has figured out um, kind of some systems and ways to to rank very quickly on Google. Um, and so, anyways, a little plug and shout out to Gerald because he's he literally took my business from from not existing to four and a half months later, I was ranking number one on Google for most keywords for people like searching, we buy houses, Chattanooga, sell my house fast, Chattanooga, cash home buyers, Chattanooga, all that kind of stuff. So. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, so the rankings are still fluctuating a little bit, um, but I'm top, top three for most major keywords uh, in our area, um, which has been huge. So we've been getting lots of leads in and already taking down a couple of deals through that. So what are, like what are some activities that you, let's say four and a half months to go from no presence to top SEO search? What are some activities that you were doing in that four and a half months to achieve that, right? Yeah, a big part of it and the majority of it was literally just building the website in in, in a way that um, engages people. So, so his one of Gerald's big thing that he teaches is like, creating your website so that it will convert people into actual leads. Cause a lot of times you'll see the real estate investor, like you go to their website and it's just blocks of text and like, nobody's going to read that, you know? Mm, so how do you yeah. make your, your website visually appealing that people can glance at it and within three seconds, they know exactly what you can do, how you can solve their problem um, and trying to do that in a way that's clear and concise. Um, and that still provides good information. Um, and then after that, a big part of it is just as far as ranking higher, um, is just for Google to see your website as credible. And so that's like, do you provide good content that's original? Um, so like one of the things that we did is we started a, a blog that's uh, my wife and I, it's called real life investor couple.com. Uh, and that blog basically is just to start providing good, unique, original content that as uh, people start going to that blog and it starts getting a lot of traffic and I'll link that blog to my company website. Then the more links that you get from other credible things like that to your website, uh, Google just sees you as, I guess, more reputable and will then rank you higher. So, so a lot of it really just has to do with providing good content. Um, and there's a lot of technical stuff, whatever that honestly, I, I don't really understand. I just followed <laughs> his instructions and did what he told me to do, but, <laughs> but a big part go. of it. 
Yeah, is is just providing really good content that's not even necessarily geared towards getting leads. You know, all the content is not necessarily geared towards me getting a motivated seller to come to my website. It's just getting people who are interested in whatever topics it is that I'm writing about, just getting that traffic. And the more traffic you get, uh, then, then the higher Google uh, tends to rank you. So, um, it's interesting. Yeah. Because it, it seems uh, counter and counter to what a lot of wholesalers do, where there's just one landing page with very little information. Yeah, that's exactly right. One fillable form and you, you know, you're squeezing them into Which that. if you're doing like pay-per-click or that sort of thing, then that may be good because you're, you're paying for that top spot in the ads on Google and you just want people to land on your landing page. If you're trying to organically get traffic on your website because people are searching for certain keywords and you're like one of the first organic listings, that takes a lot more content writing. <laughs> Okay. So I'll probably spend 15 to 20, I probably spent 15 to 20 hours a week, every week for the past six months, working on the website, writing content, um, working on our blog, writing blog content. Um, it's been a lot of work. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of work. Um, but the nice thing about SEO is that once you rank number one, you don't have to pay to keep that number one spot. Like you're not doing like pay-per-click. You got to keep paying every week or every month uh, to be listed on there. If you're ranked organically number one, that's free. Once you put yeah. the work in, that's sharp. Well, and if you have blog posts for six months, twelve months, eighteen months, all of that builds on itself. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. So, for a competitor, let's say who's starting out, it's going to be hard to compete with somebody who has that much built up. That's exactly right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So what kinds of leads do you have coming in now? How does that convert um, for your business? Yeah. So um, like I think three days ago, we actually got somebody who called us from the website, um, got a lead, somebody who had a piece of vacant land that they had bought uh, a little while back because they were planning on building here in Chattanooga. They decided they wanted to move. They want to move like by the beginning of January. They just want to sell their land basically for what they bought it for. I don't typically do development like ground up builds. That's not my, my skill set. So I actually partnered with a, another investor here in town who's got a lot of uh, connections with uh, developers and other people. So we worked out a JV deal where he was, he was going to wholesale it uh, after I got into contract. And so we did that I got under contract three days ago, two days after that, we got under contract to sell it a uh, wholesale assignment fee or assignment of contract to uh, a developer who's going to build on that lot. And, you know, not a big payday, but you know, we make $6,000 on a deal and split that 3000 each and not bad for a few days work. Yeah, really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's one. And then um, we've got another deal that we, uh, we closed on a house, uh, somebody who's actually, in forbearance because they had lost their job due to COVID. Um, and so we were able to buy that, uh, actually brought in another partner. Um, because I've spent the past six months trying to figure out how to get deals. I, I had never actually wholesaled a property myself or actually done the back end part. So, uh, as I started getting leads, I went, Oh man, I got to figure out what to do with these when they come in. So, uh, <laughs> so, I, I started getting leads in and then I brought in a, uh, several partners uh, for different deals to, to help me kind of figure out the best way to 
uh, whether to wholesale or to buy it and then sell it uh, with a realtor or whatever it is that we decide. So. I, lo- I mean, I love that. I, I, I don't, <clears throat> so many people get caught up in like the paralysis of needing to know how everything's going to go or how to do every yeah, aspect sure. of it, you know? And for me, that's when I feel the most committed is when I'm already in, you know, and I got to figure out how to do the rest of it. You know, the first subject to deal I ever did, I talked to the seller and I said, you know, I understood that subject two was the way it should work out. They didn't have any equity. And I said, you know, if I just start making your payments to the bank and you move to your new home, would you be happy? And they're like, yeah, it's like, Okay, so I left. I was like, I gotta figure out. Go. All right, now what paperwork do we need to make yeah. this like happen? And how does this work? How how do we make this legal? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, those are all details. We'll figure that out. Right, <laughs> that's exactly so. right. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I still consider myself a very new investor, but I've gotten really good, and and I've gotten a lot of practice talking with motivated sellers, and feel like I've I've developed that skill pretty well. Um, and so now bringing in other people, it's like, cause some other people are like, Oh man, you're like losing half the profit. You know, if you like split it with somebody else. And, and in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm actually gaining profit that I probably would have screwed up something on the back end mm-hmm. on my own had I not brought in somebody else, you know? So, so to me, it's, it's paying for the education by bringing in the partners, uh, which is, which is, you know, worth way more than the, you know, a few thousand dollars that, that I paid them when we split the deal. Yeah. I'm just finishing the book, Who Not How. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it, it's really challenged me because I feel very, I think being American, you want to be independent and be able to do everything yourself. And I think that book does a great job of pointing out the more people you involve, you split, let's say you split the profits, but the number of deals you can do grows much more yeah it triples and more yeah whatever. triples yeah. more than doubles so yeah you, as long as it more than doubles you're good <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so the For benefits sure. far outweigh the the negative it's short-sighted to think oh i'm losing half of the money so absolutely and that's a big thing that i've kind of been trying to learn myself and, and my wife has been very encouraged <laughs> encouraged me to do a lot too because <laughs> she's seen how many hours i put into this and and how hard i've been working um, but she's always encouraging me to find ways to be able to still be successful, but working less because, you know, for us, family is such a huge priority that I don't want to be an entrepreneur to not have to work for somebody else, but then end up working 70 hour weeks for myself and not getting to see my family because I'm working for myself now, you know, like I'm, my goal is to try to work less, not more. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so there are definitely seasons where you have to work more as an entrepreneur. Absolutely, Yeah. And that's, but, and that's what we both have been talking about was that this is the season that I've really got. I can just grind it out. But once we get all this stuff set up, then, you know, we'll get systems in place to be able to, to back off on some of the hours. That I'm having. So, yeah. Speaking of which actually, so the, the deal that I did in Shreveport where I did the burr, um, where I still haven't seen it yet taught me a lot about that because it, it was the easiest deal I'd ever done. So actually just closed on a duplex here in Chattanooga two days ago. And I actually went there this morning to meet a guy who was going to uh, clean out some of the junk that the tenant had left behind in one of the units and going to refinish the floor and kind of get some stuff done. And I'm in there going, 
I can paint this. this is a small unit. Like I'll get him to refinish the floor and then I'll paint this and paint the cabinets or whatever. And then I went and met with my property manager and was telling him all the stuff that I was planning on doing or, or getting crews to come in and do. And he was like, we have crews that we can just send to do all that for you. If you just want us to take care of it or you can do it yourself. And I'm like, well, yeah, like I'm an idiot. Of course I want you to do it. Like, I don't, first of all, I'm not even good at it. Second of all, like I've got my, my, strong suit right now is finding the deals. And so if I can just leverage my property manager to go in and replace the countertops and paint the walls and the cabinets and get it cleaned out and whatever, um, that makes way more sense. You know, I, I keep having to convince myself that I don't have to work hard to like somehow feel like I'm, I don't know, like, like that my efforts are yeah. validated in what I'm doing. It's like, it's okay to pay an extra $400 to have somebody else to take care of it instead of me spending three or four days trying to do it and end up doing not as good of a job as you know the professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can completely relate. You know, <clears throat> so, and I do think, I mean, real estate investing. So we always start pretty much as an individual. We're trying to figure some part of the business out. And so in real estate investing, it almost feels unnatural to think of it as building a business because obviously mm -hmm. when you're building a business, the CEO probably isn't the one behind the cashier or, you know, the one emptying trash cans, everybody has a role and there's, you have to have multiple people involved depending on the business. Yeah. So I think the more we can look at real estate as a business, absolutely roles, the better, the better we'll do and the bigger we'll grow. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I totally, totally agree. So what are you looking for? Where do you want to get to or what's your vision for where you're going? Yeah. So my goal that I've set for 2021 uh, for our company is to buy $1.5 million in real estate in the next 12 months. I um, like so it. That's, yeah. So that's, that's our goal. Um, whether or not we, you know, flip or wholesale or buy and hold or whatever we do, just the, the total purchased. And, you know, cause really just depend the what the deal looks like depends on what we end up wanting to do with it. But our goal is to purchase $1.5 million in real estate in 2021. Um, and so to do that, um, you know, we're, we're looking for private investors, people who want to come alongside us, um, you know, we're, we're still partnering with, with several investors, uh, here in Chattanooga, uh, as we're, um, just kind of expanding our, our skill set and our, our knowledge of, of the business. And so, um, yeah, so that's a big thing right now is we, you know, hopefully we're going to get so many deals, we can't take them down all ourselves. So we're going to need some, uh, some other people who want to make some money alongside us to, to come in and, and join us on the journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And what do you hope? You know, I'm like, a, I'm just wired as really big picture. And what do you hope? I mean, I really think from what you've accomplished in this last year, you can hit the 1.5 in 2021. What do you hope or envision for five years down the road or? Yeah, so five years down the road, my wife and I um, have made the goal that we want to be able to replace all of our income from our other jobs um, so that we can be 100% in on real estate. Um, so we actually set that goal two years ago that in 10 years, we wanted to be, you know, have enough passive income to basically 
pay to, to live off of with just from our passive income for real estate. Um, my wife likes to set these, uh, uh, more attainable goals and then try to do them faster. And I like to set goals like, you know, $1.5 million in real estate in one year. And then if, you know, you're a hundred thousand dollars short or whatever, then it's like, Oh, you still did okay. You know, so, so (laughs) we have different goal setting, uh, kind of uh, the ways that we think about it. But so we made the goal for in 10 years to be able to do that. Kind of my personal goal on the side was like more like three years. So I've got another like you know, year and a half to get that done. So. All right. Awesome. <laughs> so are you going to, to attain that um, passive income goal? Are you going to focus on buy and holds in Chattanooga or will it be kind of wherever? What's yeah, so we're we're buying kind of all over, you know, within a couple hundred miles of Chattanooga. Um, so so within a few hours drive, um, and then I'm still buying in Louisiana because uh, I've still got all those connections there and great property manager and and all that. So um, a lot of that's going to be buy and hold. We're looking at, at you know anything that cash flows. So right now, whether it's single family, multifamily, larger multifamily, um, we're just trying to to get those number of units, number of doors up. And then, uh, and then see where it goes from there. So that's awesome. I, I, I like the way you have it structured where you have a network of property managers and leveraging their network of contractors and, um, you're in, you have kind of a niche of involvement and then you're relying on other people. That seems really, yeah. And eventually if I can get to where, you know, I can run my company where I'm just have set it up where we're really good at finding deals, then, you know, years down the road, I'd love to hire some people to, to actually be the ones to do most of the day-to-day operations and I can go mountain biking with my son. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. So for somebody who's starting out and, you know, a lot of people have similar aspirations. They'd love to leave their W-2 job or they'd love more time with family or be able to have, you know, those really awesome experiences with family, create those adventures together. Yeah. And what advice would you give to people who are just trying to get started and get that ball rolling? Yeah. I think that if your life situation can handle it, house hacking, I think is by far the best way to get into real estate from the ground level. I think that if you can, if you can find a way to house hack, whether that's you know, if you're single and you want to have roommates, you want to buy a house and rent out rooms. Uh, if you want to do the duplex thing, I feel like my wife and I kind of we were, we did all of the different steps. Like I had a house and rented rooms and then I had a duplex and rented the other side. And then we had a, a, a main house that had a garage apartment in the back. And so we kind of did all of those different versions, um, just depending upon your comfort level, you know, kind of what you're, what you're comfortable with. But I think that the house hacking will give you the experience of being a landlord where it's a little bit easier to a certain extent, <laughs> you know, you're not trying to manage something, you know, an hour away or whatever that, you know, you're there all the time. You, you see something, if it, something goes wrong immediately, um, you know, that yeah. Kind of awesome. Yeah. And, you know, for, for your, in your story, you've changed all different ways, like the different types of house hacking and then, buy and hold, in town, buy and hold, out of town, self-managed, hiring a property manager. It obviously wasn't this straightforward, clear path where you knew what the end, you <laughs> Definitely know, not. where you were going. So yeah. 
for people in the process, what advice can you give them as far as sticking with the path, continually working through obstacles? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good question. Um, one of the things that I always like to say when my wife and I are talking about these goals is that, that I always, I, I love having a plan, not because I think that's the plan that we're going to follow. And then in the end, we're going to, you know, accomplish the end goal of that plan, but more because I like having a plan because once you're at least started somewhere, then you can make changes and pivot and shift as you need to, but you got to get started first, you know, so as to, to, to start with a plan, make a goal, whatever that is, but then to, to be open as you learn more and as you gain more knowledge, then you may be open to new opportunities that you didn't realize existed. And so then your goals and your plans change and adjust with that. But you got to have some kind of plan to start with, you know, that, that you got you got to, you got to start with a goal in mind and then know that that's probably going to change eventually. Um, but that, that as long as you're moving in the direction that you may, you know, shift and alter that plan a little bit, but you've got some momentum behind you to allow you to keep moving forward. I think that's awesome. You don't have to have a perfect plan, right? No, there is no perfect not. plan. So yeah. just, what, what is it? I don't remember what the quote is like. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth or something. Yeah. What was, what was that quote? <laughs> it was Mike Tyson. Yeah, is that what that was? yeah that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. So I, I, that's great advice. Make, make yeah. a plan good enough to start, start down. That's that right. Good enough to start and go. just get that momentum going. Yeah. So, and I think it's good for people in that process to think if, if things start not going well, or they have a problem, a tenant doesn't pay or whatever the headache is as they're going down their path, that doesn't mean the plan was bad. That doesn't mean they're doing something wrong. That's just part of it, you know, That's exactly learn from right. it, keep moving forward. That's exactly right. And to, and to surround yourself with people who are, ahead of you in their plans, but it's, it's encouraging when you see those other people doing well and having success because then you see that it's possible, you know, and, and asking those questions and having those people you can talk to was really key for me. Cause I just, I would find people who were doing real estate and like to talk about real estate. And then I would talk to them as much as they would let me. <laughs> you know, like, like, and, and I was just always consuming knowledge and information any chance that I could. That's awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today and sharing your story. I know it'll be uh, inspiring to other people. And for people who want to learn more about you or stay more in tune with what you got going on and follow your story, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can follow uh, us on Instagram. My wife and I are real life investor couple on Instagram. And then uh, that's our website as well. And then our, our company is New Horizon Home Buyers. Uh, that's our, our website and Instagram for that company as well. So go like and, you know, comment and all that kind of stuff. Go check us out. That's right. I would encourage everybody to do that. You have to follow because there's going to be a lot going on. To hit that 1.5 million mark, there's going to that's be a right. lot of activity. It's going to be a lot of stuff going on in 2021. <laughs> that's awesome. So, a little preview. You're going to have to come back at some point in 2021 and report on where, how it's gone, how how close. This is are. actually the first time I've put this out there publicly. So, so now I've got to stick to it since I've I've put it out there. That's right. That that's that whole commit thing, right? Commit. <laughs> that's right. Out later. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it's awesome. scary, but we'll make it happen. There you go. 
All right. Well, thank you again, Eric. I appreciate it. Definitely anybody uh, interested, follow him and his wife on their journey. You'll be glad you did. So we'll talk to you soon, Eric. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.